This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now, I thought I was totally on top of knowing about possible vaccination side effects until I got a disturbing email from my good friend and colleague, Leanne Wright. It was just a day after another email where she was crowing about getting her second Pfizer shot. And she told me about a symptom we usually associate with breast cancer. Uh, So Leanne is on the line with us now. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm much better than I was last week. Okay. So tell us, uh, you got your second Pfizer shot and what happened then? I got my second Pfizer shot uh, on June 7th, which was approximately nine weeks after I got my first shot. And um, everything was fine. I didn't have any of the uh, side effects that we've been warned about, like fever or flu-like symptoms. And it was about two days later, 48 hours later, almost to the minute. Um, funny enough, they had shut off the water in my condo, so my, sh- my morning shower was delayed. So it was around 2 o'clock, and I was in the shower, and without going into too much detail, you know, you do your usual self-examination, but I didn't really have to do an examination because right under my arm, I discovered a lump that was probably like it was basically the size of a golf ball so I jumped out of the shower and put my arms up in the air and was pretty shocked by what I saw well and and that is scary uh I remember many years ago in the middle of the night when when I found a lump, um it was in my breast but I know people that's where they find I mean it's scary because a lump under your arm uh uh, people find breast cancer there. Exactly. So, and I, I do have to say, breast cancer was on my mind because my aunt had been recently diagnosed with it. Um, and so, I tried to avoid using Doctor Google. Um, you know, consult your real doctor. But I went immediately to Google and I started googling armpit lump vaccine COVID. And I was amazed by how many articles and headlines I saw addressing this particular side effect. So there were headlines like. Don't panic if you see a lump on your armpit after COVID vaccine. Well, that was too late. I was already panicking. <laughs> um, there was uh, another headline, COVID vaccine may lead to harmless lump in your armpit. So delay mammogram for four to eight weeks. Don't be alarmed by the side effect. I could be confused with breast cancer. So there were all these headlines and articles, which, you know, I have to say reassured me that it was hopefully linked to the vaccine that I had two days prior. But I was really surprised that there's not been any broader coverage about the side effect in the media, especially because it's so scary to discover. Well, you know, I was surprised, too, because like I said, I thought I was on top of this. I read everything that that comes across the transom. And when you told me about this, it was the first I heard of it. I don't think my doctor had heard of it either, because obviously, immediately after I used Dr. Google, I called my real doctor and they uh, they slotted me in, even though he was completely booked, they slotted me in for a phone consult. And when I described the symptom, he obviously said, I'd like to, you know, be a little more diligent and see you in person. So I went the next day and he, you know, kind of touched it and felt it. It was quite soft. It wasn't hard. And he said it was just swelling. Although many of the articles I said, I, I had read, uh, said that the lump is related to a lymph node reaction that is, you know, where it's creating, it's, it's reacting to the vaccine agent and, and creating antibodies. So they said it was a good thing. Right. And then I just read something that said, no, it's, it's not a lymph node thing, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it, that's neither here nor there. So did he basically say it, it, it did not feel like the kind of lump you would find with breast cancer, which I think correct. usually would be hard. Yes, correct. He said it was, he just said it was swelling. He said he, you know, he felt around both my armpits and he said, this is not your lymph node related and it's just pure swelling. And I'm thankful to say it's gone now. It took about three days, but uh, it slowly, it slowly uh, went back to normal. Oh, 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, I find it frankly, uh, quite unusual that, that we had not heard anything about this. Uh, did you hear from any people who had a similar side effect? I had one friend who's a registered dietitian. She does some work at Sunnybrook. She said, I called her, uh, because she knows a lot about medical issues and she said she'd heard of it before and I shouldn't panic. I called my sister who has a friend of a friend who had the same symptoms, but it's just, it's just shocking that it's never been really reported widely. And um, there's apparently hundreds of thousands of women in uh, North America who have suffered from the same symptoms. I also read that breast cancer clinics are being inundated by women who are panicking, calling to say that they'd like to have a mammogram or they need a, they'd like to have an examination because for obvious reasons. They jump to the conclusion that it's 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 a lump that is related to breast cancer. Well, yeah, and we are going to be talking uh, in uh, not very long uh, to a radiologist as as well as another doctor because there's another side effect that that is hitting young men that uh, that we haven't that, well it just came out recently but it, i do find it really odd that that this has been happening and uh, we don't know very much about it so i'm i'm glad i mean are you completely calm now that it's gone i mean is it completely gone i feel calm you know i'm i'm an athlete i'm a runner so i i know my body pretty well and uh, i haven't had any other uh, side effects beyond that but I really want to thank you for bringing it to the public's attention because there could be a lot of worried women out there. Well, and I want to thank you for bringing it to my attention. <laughs> and uh, I'm really glad that it's turning out to be nothing. Um, and uh, Leanne Wright, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Libby. I'll see you later. I'll see you later. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side of it, we're going to talk to a couple of doctors about this side effect, as well as a troubling heart side effect that seems to be affecting some young men. When we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, as we heard from Leanne Wright, this armpit swelling is apparently a common side effect. Let's bring in a doctor. Dr. Belinda Kirpin is a radiologist in the Breast Imaging Department of Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. And while we're on the subject of side effects, there's also a danger of myocarditis in young men, mostly, who get the Pfizer shot. For that, we're bringing in Dr. Chiming Chow. Uh, and we will also get to calls from you, our audience. Doctors, welcome, and thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, let's begin with Dr. Kirpin. So have you been hearing from women who experience this swelling, and, and what do you know about it? Uh, there are a lot of women experiencing the swelling, even myself, I had it. Really? And yes, it's uh, the normal uh, immune response uh, to a vaccine. And the um, the Pfizer vaccine uh, causes a very intense immune response. So it's actually a good thing. It means that your body is reacting and developing your immune response to the um, to the COVID nineteen, were, were you were you worried when you first saw it, or were you all cool with it? No, I I knew I knew about it, and uh, we got a lot of literature, especially from the Society of Breast Imaging, uh, informing us that this will be happening, and we will see this in on a patient's mammogram because the uh, axillary lymph node or the armpit lymph nodes is very well seen on a mammogram. So uh, I was not worried. And uh, what did you tell women? I'm assuming that you've been getting a lot of calls from women. Uh, well, it's more that we're getting women who come... Uh, coming for their mammogram, and we're seeing it on the mammogram, on the screening mammogram. So what we will do in those cases is we will call the patient back and do an ultrasound. And uh, sometimes, uh, and we are also 
uh, since the Society of Breast Imaging told us about the side effect, we've been collecting the data. So when the patient comes for her mammogram, we always ask, did you have a vaccine? Which vaccine? Which arm? So we could really correlate with uh, what we're seeing on the mammogram. So what we would do then, if we do see that, we would call the patient back, not right away, but in about two to three months when we know that the uh, lymph node will go back to normal and we will do a, uh, either a repeat mammogram or an ultrasound of the armpit to show that it has uh it has resolved. S- sounds like uh, extra tests. Is, is is it better just to postpone a mammogram or to put an interval between the mammogram vaccine? Well, I would say if it's for a screening mammogram, that means that the patient does not have any symptoms or any lumps. It can be postponed up to six weeks after the vaccine. Or you do your screening mammogram before the vaccine. But if you're feeling a lump in your breast, just, you know, go and do your mammogram. And we will be able to interpret uh, the if there is an, an, uh, an increase to, in size of a lymph node. Dr. Chow, uh, yes. welcome. So first of all, what is myocarditis? Well, myocarditis is a general term that describes inflammation uh, that is in the heart muscles. And also there's an associated uh, condition uh, that's called pericarditis, which is an inflammation of the surrounding of the heart, which is a a membrane that uh, covers our heart and allows our heart to uh, move uh, within the capsule or the sac uh, as each heart beats. So uh, we've noticed uh, there's been actually reports uh, of this myocarditis as well as pericarditis uh, associated with people who have had COVID vaccine. And uh, in particular, uh, with the myocarditis, it's been described among uh, younger individuals, which are 16 to 30, and they tend to be male. And uh, FDA has actually put out a number, which is about 16 out of 1 million of people who have received their COVID vaccine may have developed this. And, but fortunately, all the symptoms tend to be quite mild. So what are the symptoms? Yeah, some of these symptoms are uh, chest discomfort, uh, palpitation, uh, or shortness of breath. Those are very common problems that uh, we hear uh, among the people who have had uh, COVID vaccine these days as well. And... Well, yeah, so how how would you even tell that that's a COVID symptom too? So how would you know the difference? Yeah, sometimes it can be quite confusing. Uh, in general, the most common symptoms that we hear as cardiologists are palpitations, so they feel like their heart is beating a bit faster. And then uh, sometimes they get uh, fever and uh, also uh, muscle ache. And uh, we now just learned that, you know, there can be uh, breast swelling and uh, axillary uh, pain and, uh, and also general muscle weakness as well. But if it's more than that, for example, you're getting more short of breath or you start having chest discomfort that you never had before, then there's a cause to actually seek medical attention. And then uh, we can actually do blood tests uh, to find out there's inflammation uh, in your heart muscles. Uh, We can do ECGs uh, and then to further uh, evaluate this. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of calls. We've got Christine in Mississauga. Hello, Christine. Um, Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Well, I'm very thankful and happy that I listened to the woman just now because I too... I uh, had the vaccine in on April 29th, and about three to four weeks later, discovered the same thing. And I've had an ultrasound and also a mammogram, which I'm waiting for the results for, and I've been quite worried. Um, it's just unusual, and it's uh, like in that axillary area. Just a minute. Did you say and that? The interesting that... thing, sorry to interrupt, but the interesting thing was during the mammogram, the lady asked me, the technician, well, what arm did you get your vaccine in and what date? And I thought that was really odd. Did you say you didn't get the swelling until weeks later? Uh, three weeks later. Uh, Dr. Kirpin? Yes. Um, so she got her swelling three weeks later. Is that? Have you seen that? It's usually within the first few days. Um, I think if it sometimes... People react differently, so it can be up to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
you know, if, if you're still concerned, you should consult with your doctor and they, they can do further tests. Yes. Yes, I got it about two weeks after. And it's like right under where the axillary tendon yes. or whatever that is there. And it's still swollen. Uh, you 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 got your mammogram though. You just need no, your results. No, I, I had the ultrasound oh. of that area and a mammogram, but they're not giving me the results till next week. I just had them done like last week. Well, you know, my my uh, opinion and and my advice would be: do not worry until there is a reason to worry. Okay, it's hard because <laughs> I know, but I, I I just kept thinking: could it have been something from the vaccine or? or response from the vaccine. So I'm hoping that's what it is. I think it's probably related to the vaccine. Yeah, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Gia, try, try not to worry or try try to at least tell yourself you have to limit, like, I can only worry for 10 yeah. minutes a day. That, that's what I do. I worry in the morning and then I kind of say, I'm fine and everything's good. <laughs> okay, good luck with Thank that, Christine. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the information you get out there. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Nelson in Strathroy, and I think he's going to correct something that I said. Hi, Nelson. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I had my second shot of Moderna June the 7th, and about two, three days later, I also had the swelling under my left arm. So it's men too. Men too, and it lasted for about three days. Like Leanne's. Did it worry you? Um... At first, I was trying to figure out what was going on, and I spoke with a, a nurse that were at the long-term facility where my mom was, and I just kind of happened to discuss with him what was going on, and he goes, oh, that that's happening with the side that you take the ejection on, and then that just put my mind at ease. Mm. So when he told me that, I said, okay, that must be the side effect, and I let it go with that, so... Okay, well, uh, thanks for setting me straight. I said it affects women. I mean, let's just say it probably worries women more than worries, men. Yeah, but uh, another thing that my wife had mentioned is there was some slight discoloration on, on the swelling as well. I don't know if that affects everybody as well as or not. Uh, Dr. Kirpin, do you? Discolor- discoloration of what? Uh, of- the skin is more of a yellowish tinge to it on the swelling. Mm, no, I haven't heard of that. That's the one thing that my wife noticed. It was more of okay. Is it, did it go away? It's gone away. Yes. Okay. Then it's probably related, and I wouldn't worry about it. No. Okay, Nelson. Okay. Thank you well, for thank that. Thank you very much. Have yourselves a great day. Thanks. I guess uh, you know it that we have to expect that with something uh, that is this new, things are going to pop up that did not come up in the trial. Dr. Chow, is is this myocarditis thing in young men? Is it because it's it's that rare that it wouldn't necessarily have shown up in a trial? Certainly, uh, there weren't so many trials of such young people. Yeah, it's. Quite unexpected. Again, similar to uh, Dr. Crappen mentioned, we are always learning. And also, you know, with the uh, vaccine, we are stimulating a uh, reaction from our body to create these antibodies against the virus. So sometimes the um, immune system is all turned on so that, you know, our um, inf- uh, our hearts can get inflammation and the surrounding of the heart or the covering of the heart can get inflammation as well. And it turns out that at this point, the um, the, the numbers are still very rare. It's about 16 of a million at this point. And when they did the trial, there's only about 30,000 patients. So these um, very rare conditions, similar to the blood clot with the uh, other vaccines, such as uh, AstraZeneca, may only turn up uh, when it's actually given to a mass population. But then again, when you look at um, uh, young people, uh, if they actually have COVID, there's also risk of them getting uh, myocarditis as well. So in fact, the risk is higher if you have COVID. So it's still better to prevent the COVID than actually worrying about these uh, rare conditions that are, tends to be quite mild at this point. And do you have any idea why it affects young men? Well, these are all mysteries. There are certain things that, you know, when the, uh, the clot issues that come up, they tend to affect uh, younger women. And then now the myocarditis tend to be younger men. Uh, we don't exactly know why. Uh, between like why certain uh, gender uh, or male versus female have certain conditions. So, I mean, in, in the whole world, in the whole scientific community, we are all learning as we go. 
And Dr. Kerfin, have you seen anything that kind of narrows down a, a population that would be most likely to get an armpit swelling? No, it's we we don't know who will get the armpit swelling and who will not. And I see um, a, a lot of mammograms every day, and some women will have no symptoms at all and would have had their vaccine like two days before, and some other women will. That's how... Um, the human body is. We are very, we react differently to different things, just like we can react uh, differently in, in terms of, um, you know, to, to a certain situation, our body reacts differently uh, depending on how we are. So we cannot predict, really. Dr. Chow, we just had a question uh, from a listener, and that is, uh, are there examples of this myocarditis happening to women as well? Oh, there are. There are a few. Uh, I'll give you some example. Recently, we admitted a, a, a lady who is in her 60s. Um, she started having like chest pain, and, uh, uh, and uh, it was actually about 10 days before she had the vaccine, and it turns out that she has inflammation around her heart. There are also cases, um, like not as common as male, um, who could be older as well, that uh, has uh, myocarditis, uh, who, who presented with chest pain, ECG changes, and also when you, we do the blood test as a, a blood test called troponin, which reflects some um, heart muscle damage that actually got elevated. And uh, so we do see these cases as more and more people getting vaccinated, but they're very rare, uh, just to emphasize that. So for those patients, we uh, manage them. Um, uh, well, we do our ultrasound, ECG, we follow them, and uh, also they, most of them tend to resolve uh, over time with the appropriate treatment. Oh, so it's it's not a matter like the swelling that it usually goes away in three days? Yeah, the pericarditis sometimes is very annoying because it's quite painful. So people, when they take a deep breath in, it hurts. And then when they lie down, it hurts. And, uh, and when we do ECG, there are classical changes on the ECG. When we do blood tests, there are some inflammation markers such as CRP uh, as well as troponin that may be elevated. So those are the things that we look for in both pericarditis as well as myocarditis. And then uh, depends on what we see, then uh, we have to take actions to treat it. Uh, they, they're a little bit, I mean, in general, most people... Um, do not end up being in the hospital, but for those people who uh, have enough symptoms that they're worried, they come to the hospital, then we have to treat them accordingly. Okay, so uh, I guess uh, it's just another thing to look out for. We are starting to run out of time. Dr. Kirpin, what would you like to leave us with on this? What I would, <clears throat> excuse me, what I would like to leave uh, off with is that the vaccine is very important. The side effects are low, and whatever side effects there are, they're not uh, like uh, the lymph node increasing in size is not life-threatening. So I would encourage everyone to get their vaccine, to continue with their lives, have their mammogram. We can usually... um, take care of all of the, of most of the side effects that there are. And Dr. Chow, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, similar to Dr. what Kerbin just said, I agree with that. And also uh, the heart issues related to the COVID vaccine or the side effects or complications, they tend to quite mild, fortunately. And then there's significant benefit to getting vaccine. I was so excited to see the uh, Ontario numbers actually uh, getting to about 300. It shows that all the effort that we put together as a society with the vaccine, with the uh, social distancing and all the work that we've done actually is working. And it will give us a glimpse of great hope that uh, we can actually have a more um, normal life uh, coming up uh, in this wonderful summer season. Okay. A good thought to end on. Thank you so much, Dr. Belinda Kirpin and Dr. Chiming Chow. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And... That is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. 
Good afternoon and welcome. It's clear that Doug Ford's PCs are in election mode. They invoked the notwithstanding clause to limit spending by third parties a full year before the vote, which is where we are at right now. No need to delve into that further, but the NDP is stepping into the breach with ads attacking the government. Part of an election strategy they are unveiling. The latest poll shows them neck and neck with the governing PCs with 33% versus 37%. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. 740. And uh, now is a great time to check in with the Ontario NDP campaign director, Michael Balagas. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Libby. Well, we just heard a snippet from an ad, and it's actually quite a different tone than we've become used to hearing from Andrea Horvath. Uh, we're used to hearing her being, you know, combative, uh, angry at the government. And this is a kind of a much softer thing. Is that part of the strategy? Yeah, it is. I mean, one of the challenges that uh, any opposition leader has is the public seeing them in a role other than that. Uh, and, you know, when uh, people are covering politics, they look to the leader of the opposition uh, to provide a critique of the government. And um, that's the, the main picture that people get to see of, of an opposition leader. And, you know, we know from the last campaign and we know from experience that people want to see a more rounded politician. And so this is an opportunity to show them those other sides of Andrea that they don't necessarily see every night on the six o'clock news. Was there polling or something to say that that people see her negatively because of uh, what they see in question period? No, not at all. In fact, for the most part, people uh, quite liked uh, that Andrea was standing up to Doug Ford, that Andrea was leading a lot of the opposition, uh, and quite frankly, very supportive of the positions we were taking around long-term care, around paid sick days, etc., but there is also a sense that we want for folks who who were not quite there, who are not quite ready to uh, uh, to make the leap. It's like show us something else. We want to see more than just her ability to hold the government to account, and that's that's what voters want to see. They want to see all the all the elements uh, of their leaders, and so um, this ad is an effort to do that. And, um, you know, we, we know from the last campaign that uh, Andrea ran a very positive campaign, a campaign of hope, a campaign of vision, and people responded to it. So we know that this is what people are looking for in leaders, and, and they see it in Andrea. Uh, what about the Liberals? Uh, we've seen a little bit more of them than we have uh, for a while. They they don't even have official party status. Uh, the leader, Stephen Del Duca, is a former cabinet minister. Where do you think they're at? And uh, are are they a, a threat to you? Do you think, or do you what do you have to do anything particular to differentiate yourselves? I think that, uh, you know, the Liberals in Ontario always have a very strong party brand. Um, and, and part of that is their federal party, part of that is their history in the province, and so they always have a very strong brand. And it's that brand right now that is carrying what support they have. I mean, very, very few Ontarians know Stephen Delzuk is the leader, very few remember uh, his days in cabinet, so it's not him. He is not driving any kind of support that they have. And quite frankly, I think that um, the more Ontarians see Stephen Dalduca and the more they are reminded uh, of the fact that he was one of the top cabinet ministers in the Wynn government, I think the more of a liability that will become for the party. Uh, I'm gathering from what you say that you don't think they've, they've shaken off uh, all the baggage from the Wynn government and uh, the McGuinty government before that. No, they haven't. Although, I mean, right now with uh, with the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic is the lens through which everybody in Ontario is watching things now. So remembering the wind government, uh, the skyrocketing hydro rates, the, uh, uh, the cuts to hospitals, the cuts to education, uh, the gas plant scandals, those aren't top of mind for folks right now. What's top of mind for folks right now is getting through this pandemic. But 
when you remind people of those things and when you remind them of the role that Stephen Del Duca played, um, they react to that. And uh, it, uh, it reminds them of why they, uh, why they you know, voted the government out. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, the incumbents always have an advantage uh, and they are ahead in the polls, even though the premier's favorability ratings have taken a huge dive uh, lately. What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I don't know that the incumbents always have an advantage. I mean, they, they certainly have um, uh, some built in advantages. But I think if you look, uh, I mean, the, the, the Conservatives do the same kind of research that we do and the Liberals do, and the Conservatives' response is to hide their leader. Uh, and they're not going to be able to do that through the campaign. And I think that what's going to be very different about this campaign is is what's driven Premier Ford's numbers negative in terms of his response to the pandemic are very personal. I mean, they're not about uh, people reading about a, a scandal here or a scandal there. It's about uh, it's about what happened to their their loved ones in long term care. It's what happened to their kids uh, who couldn't get into school all year. Uh, it's what happened when they lost their job or they weren't avail- eligible for paid sick days. And these are very personal things, and people don't forget those easily. I know there's a expression that uh, you know a year is a long time in politics, and uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, but when it's personal, when it's deep, and when it's hurt you and your family, you don't forget that one fast. Right, but as as with the federal government, um, well, it's the opposite. The federal government had a really rocky start with this, and they seem to have recovered, and we're now among the world leaders in vaccination. And Ford had very high approval ratings at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which has turned around. Uh, some people would say uh, kind of inevitably. So are people going to forget about that as things get back to normal? I don't think they will. I think uh, some of the folks who, as I said earlier, were particularly hard hit and hurt by what uh, what happened during the pandemic. I don't think they're going to forget quickly. And then the other piece, of course, is the going forward part uh, as we look at uh, at the recovery. And people are going to be looking at who has the who has the platform and who do I trust to rebuild our healthcare system? I mean, we've got hundreds of thousands of backlog procedures, and they're going to be looking at who do I trust to make the investments and and to to get our schools functioning properly again. Uh, Long term care is an absolutely critical issue. I mean, we can never go back to where we were, and I think people will be looking forward and and looking at the various platforms and the various leaders and say, you know, who do I trust? to fix that long-term care system. Is that and, the best? Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, so what is, is there a ballot question that you can see? Uh, <clears throat> I, you know, for, for all that people were horrified by the situation yep. in long-term care, and that is a major preoccupation for us. I personally don't think that's going to be the ballot question. Do you? Yeah, Olivia, I, I, I... God, I wish I knew what the ballot question was going to be. I've been involved in a lot of campaigns, and you know the pandemic has just changed everything, and it's so difficult to predict. And I hear you loud and clear. I mean, I, we've gone through crisis and long-term care before, and everybody was outraged, and then they suddenly forget about it. The one thing I can promise you in this campaign is we're not going to forget about it, and we're going to do our best to make sure that the rest of Ontario don't forget about it. It's just... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had a look at our long-term care platform. It's uh, uh, it, it's comprehensive, and it really, I, I believe, it's really the kind of change that folks are looking for. And it's up to politicians to keep those uh, items high on the agenda. Will it be the ballot question? Probably not. Will it be a major uh, a major issue in the campaign that will help define how people see the uh, various parties and various leaders? That I absolutely believe. And uh, again, I mean, the the conventional wisdom is that, you know, the the governing party has an advantage, an incumbent advantage in Ontario here. We tend to reelect them. Uh, do you have anything aside from the things we've been talking about that that you're going to try to turn that around with? Yeah, I think we're going to um, we're going to try to turn it around, obviously, with a, with a platform that responds to folks that engages people. Uh, we think that the more we can um, 
drive the contrast between Andrea and Doug Ford uh, in terms of their values, in terms of who they represent, in terms of who they speak for. Um, we think all of those things uh, are going to turn it around. And, you know, in, in incumbency advantage gets weakened dramatically when your record is bad. And this government, I think pre-pandemic, uh, if you remember, was not doing very well at all. Uh, you're right. They got a boost on the front end of the pandemic. Although some people would argue, I mean, the bar was, people were, were very, very happy that Doug Ford was not acting like Donald Trump. That was the initial bar. Uh, but they moved on from that. And um, I, I don't believe this government's going to run on its record. Okay. Michael Balagas, who is the campaign manager, campaign director for the Ontario NDP. Thanks so much for being with us. And thank you, Libby. Anytime. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. And while we're on the subject of election preparedness, the same thing is happening at the federal level. And in a bid to secure a majority, the Liberals have embraced one of the Green Party's three elected MPs. We've been into the details of that story. It's Jenica Atwin, who ostensibly left the Greens because their party leader is not sufficiently pro-Palestinian. The Liberals are taking her in, though they did disavow her position that, quote, there are no two sides here, and I won't even get into the rest of it. There's a faction of the Green Party that seems to be obsessed with the Palestinian issue. And the initial response from all of this in the Green Party was to talk about a non-confidence process to possibly unseat leader Annamie Paul over this after only eight months at the helm. They decided against doing that after an emergency meeting. So uh, what the heck is going on here? Does it matter? I'll give the numbers to call if you have any opinions on this. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I'm joined by Jason Leader, who's a conservative strategist and president of Enterprise, as well as Robin Sears, NDP strategist and principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks, Libby. Good afternoon, Robin. So what the heck is going on here? One comment is that it seems that it's fairly usual for uh, so-called progressive movements. uh, They start to have a lot of self-inflicted wounds at a certain point. Oh, it's such a sad story. Let me, um, I mean, you know, the mistakes that have been made on all sides make, you know, former political staffers like Jason and I wince with pain, I'm sure, just reading about them. I mean, number one, that idiot she has as a strategic advisor should have been fired a long time ago. He was clearly making trouble a while ago. And, you know, again, as Jason and I understand, when you're a political staff person to a leader, you do not go public with criticism of the caucus. I cannot understand why she didn't dismiss him, but there's probably a backstory there I don't know. Well, let's let's just clarify for people. Part of this, she had a, a an advisor, a strategist like you guys, and he was on social media, and he accused some people of anti-Semitism. Which, One of his uh, MPs. <laughs> yeah, well, and, uh, you know, uh, there might be something to that, but I'm not even going to go there. Um uh, yeah, but it totally uh, not his his place. Uh, what, a, what a mess, Libby. I mean, yeah. it's it's uh, Robin's bang on, and and so without relitigating the issue of Palestine Palestinian rights versus Israel and what's going on in the, it, but I will say the Green Party and you know and, and at times the NDP and some other like they have these weird sort of uh, you know sort of positions that all come bubbling to the surface and it's it's really bad for their politics. I mean. There's a moment right now for the Green Party. You know, they had a moment a couple of years ago. They were up 10 points in the poll. There's, they were challenging the NDP for third place. There was this sort of really good idea. You know, there's a lot of people that are interested in sort of some progressive environmental messages and solutions or potential solutions. They've got a young black woman from Toronto who's leading the party. And they're eating her alive. And, you know, part of it has been her own mismanagement, to, to Robin's point earlier. She should have dealt with these problems. And part of it is 
you know, you, you just don't have this winning mentality. I mean, the, the NDP, I think, and, and Prime Minister Trudeau are going to be the, the, the main beneficiaries of this, of this, uh, you know, sort of mess that's happened. But my goodness, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, sort of make, you know, taking a huge opportunity and making it into nothing. I mean, this is, uh, it's really disappointing if you're a Green Party supporter. And the Green Party is the home for a lot of disaffected people, people who are pissed off about politics. People are like, a pox on all your houses. People who are like, I don't like Trudeau. I don't like O'Toole. I'm not sure about that thing. I just need some place to park my vote. And now with this sort of mess, it, it becomes not as viable an option. Yeah, I, I mean... That's a very good point, Jason, because clearly some of those many of the above people form part of the activist core and middle leadership of the Green Party itself. They're not used to the discipline of partisan political campaigns and feel like they can take shots at each other just the way they did when they were grumpies on social media before they became leadership people. I mean, I think Ms. Paul also has some some blame to bear, Libby, because, you know, she's had quite a a rocky relationship with uh, her predecessor, Elizabeth May, and Elizabeth has some side to her, as the English would say. Uh, She can be difficult, but apparently they had quite a stormy meeting a few days ago, and, you know, that's that's just not appropriate. You, you respect your elder. You respect your predecessor. Um, so it's it's just a, a sort of tragic comedy unrolling across the Canadian political landscape. And I think I agree with Jason. Unless they get it under control very soon, they're going to probably lose all their seats and the Liberals and the NDP will be the beneficiary. They have a relaunch on August 13th, apparently, when they'll reelect uh, their federal council or governing body and their likely to be a whole slew of new faces will hopefully be a little bit more mature than the ones they replace. Uh, so here's something I found quite astonishing. Speaking of Elizabeth May, and, and probably not that astonishment, it's astonishing in light of the fact that she is a, she's a United Church minister, right? So yeah. uh, she said that um, usually in politics, MPs who defect uh, are are rejected by the party. Uh, they sort of say, don't let the door hit you on your way out. Uh, and she's quoted as saying, I hope that by doing something with no precedent, saying to an MP who defected, we love you, please come back, maybe she will. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I thought, oh my goodness. negotiations underway, Libby. Pardon? There are apparently active discussions underway. Um, which, you know, would just be the final absurd chapter in this uh, strange tale. Uh, You know, I don't think that Ms. Atwin will be welcomed with open arms in the Liberal caucus. She clearly has issues of control and discipline herself. And I can well see her thinking, well, if they'll say they apologize to me and welcome me back, she might re-defect. Churchill did. (laughs) Well, she's no Churchill. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, again... um, it 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 just seems uh, completely bizarre. And uh, do you think that the liberals will will take any kind of hit by people who, who are saying that her position is really extreme and they've welcomed her with open arms? I mean, if nothing else, it sort of proves that what what the liberals care about is a majority in power. I think the liberals are probably a little surprised to understand. You know, like. I've been involved in these. I know Robin has as well, floor crossing discussions. And, you you know, you start to look and you get really excited, right? Because the person, you know, you get to, you get to hobble the other guys and, 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 you know, take their big Fredericton, uh, you know, sort of uh, win away from them. And then, you know, the, the light of day and you, you hits and you sort of look around and it's like you've got a hangover. You know, you've got this new MP who has been on talk shows sort of embarrassing herself. Uh, given cannon fodder to the conservatives in the ridings of, you know, sort of not, not the conservatives are going to win in Montreal, in the west side of Montreal, but Thornhill and some of the other areas with huge Jewish communities in, in Toronto are like, uh, I'm, I can tell you that my phone is blown up with some of her interviews and some of her, some of the stuff that she's, and now Mr. Trudeau has to stand in front of, you know, if he goes to Thornhill during a campaign to, uh, to, to campaign or, uh, you know, anywhere in, in sort of with a big Jewish population, he's going to have to answer these questions. And, and her comments and the comments of some of her former colleagues are pretty tough on, on Israel. And so. Well, and, um, and just, just to interject there, I mean, according to the accepted definition, when there's this kind of obsession, with Israel to the exclusion of, of other conflicts that, you know, frankly, kill a lot more people. That's, that's a sign. 
Yeah, and and then Mr. Trudeau's shown an ability in the past to control his narrative and his caucus on some of these thorny issues, right? Think about abortion. You're not a member of my party if you don't agree with my position, right? So he he's he's shown an ability to to be able to do that. And on this particular point, he's going to have to sort of explain to people in the Jewish community why he hasn't taken that position with 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 her. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead, Robin. I was just going to say, I think, though, that one shouldn't uh, focus too much on the Middle East struggle yeah. because the cultural problems within the Green Party go back years. I mean, you may recall that Elizabeth May had some very serious challenges to her leadership, which she mostly kept uh, behind the curtain, as it were. Uh, but this bitter uh, internecine stupidity has a long history, sadly. Uh, what I was going to ask about Annami Paul, and, you know, I've talked to her a couple of times, impressed with her, but um, I'm just wondering if, you know, almost one of her decisions anyway, which I consider almost too principled, is that instead of going for a safe riding in BC somewhere, she wants to run in Toronto Centre again against uh, a liberal, another black woman. And I'm thinking, like, you know, doesn't isn't it, you know, that's a principal decision because that's where she lives. But but is it smart? It's not smart. I, I've, <laughs> I've criticized this decision all over the place. I mean, there's, you know, there's the uh, the graveyards of politics, political history are full of people that have, you know, made this kind of a principled stand. I actually think that she's in she's an A as a spokesperson. And she's, a, you know, sort of a sort of been an F so far as a leadership sort of um, strategist, right? For those yeah. reasons that you're talking about, you know, she hasn't been able to keep the caucus together. Now we pretend the caucus is 50 people. The caucus is, you know, three people sitting around a card table. She hasn't been able to keep that together. She's, she's, you know, she hasn't been able to keep sort of a governing council together. Organizing a political party, even when as small as the Green Party, is it's not a small operation. These guys got a million votes last time. Like they actually need somebody with that. Politics requires a little ruthless, like make no mistake. Justin Trudeau, he's a ruthless guy. Stephen Harper, he was a ruthless guy. Jean Chrétien, nobody more ruthless than that guy. You actually need to be pretty tough. And she, I think is going to have to really get tough with her people over the next little bit in order to get control of this place. Well, but I think I you'd mean, agree, Jason, that uh, another requirement is you've got to have appropriate, mature senior advisors that's a real test of leadership. And, you know, without mentioning any names, we can probably think of several leaders whose advisors were um, suboptimal and, and they suffered as a result. Uh, Gretchen, Harper, Trudeau have all had very tough and capable senior advisors. She's got to find somebody who can help her over this period and whom she will listen to and will be disciplined and keep his or her mouth shut. Well, that, that's right. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine in, an, in another party, except for people who are really on the outs, you know, making the kind of going on television and saying, let's oust the leader because somebody crossed the floor. When you've never run anything, though, like this is this is Silicon Valley founder syndrome, right? We've got the we've got the old leader uh, sitting around making trouble for the new leader. We've got the new leader who doesn't really know what to do. We've got a bunch of second tier talent or third tier or fourth tier talent who probably had a couple of good ideas a few years ago. You know, they invented something really cool. The green movement is, you know, not that they invented the movement globally, but they invented uh, parts of it here. And now they're trying to be serious and. You know, it's really hard. Think about the ADQ. Think about all the little parties that have had a flash in the pan and then they've, they're gone, you know, some mostly in Quebec, but other places in Canada as well. Out in Saskatchewan and, and BC, you've had parties that have disappeared that used to run the province. It's actually really difficult to do. So you need to get, Robin's point is bang on. You need to get some experience in there. And who, as an experienced hand, is a Robin Sears, is a Jason Leader, is a, <laughs> you know, is a Don Guy going in there to run this place? Of course they are. Okay, well, I, I mean, you know, maybe you guys... Robin Sears, be... Robin Sears is the number one. Breaking news, Robin Sears is going to run the Green Party. <laughs> what In fun. your dreams. What fun. I mean, uh, you know, to to the... Provi- Mike Schreiner seems to be doing better, and he seems uh, totally reasonable every time we hear from him, which is not that often. Yeah, I think you've drawn a very good contrast there, Libby, because to me, he is if not the epitome, certainly a better role model for Ms. Paul than anybody else on her side of the field. Um, He's worked slowly and carefully and cautiously 
uh, planning his moves, uh, planning his interventions. He almost never misspeaks uh, publicly. He's not an, you know, he's not a charismatic or superstar kind of leader, but I would say he is a good example for her to follow and how to cautiously and carefully build your party and your presence. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. And, and, you know, back to uh, the original point that the Green Party, if they had any sense, would would be the home for people who are, you know, believe a pox on all your houses. If Mike Schreiner were the leader of the federal Green Party today, which, by the way, I asked him a couple of years ago, and as I thought it was going to come up, I was sitting at a reception in in, um, in Toronto at Queen's Park before the COVID happened. I said, Mike, why don't you take this on? Right. He said, ah, you know what? I like it in Guelph. I, you know, whatever. He's one of the finest MPPs, uh, regardless of partisan stripe in the, in the Ontario legislature. He's got an incredible, uh, sort of, uh, calm and patient way about him. He's really smart on the policy side and the communication side. And if he were the leader of the federal green party right now, if I were Mr. Trudeau, I would be worried about, about, protecting my green flank and protecting myself against the party right now is mr trudeau worried about the green party not in your life don't you think his phone lines are probably pretty hot right now (laughs) (laughs) well can he run the green party from guelph Uh, he can run it from anywhere he's running the provincial green party from guelph it's one guy in a computer as far as i can tell yeah and and robin a final question to you so uh are is the ndp going to be the big beneficiary of all this It'll be different in different parts of the country. I mean, certainly in B.C. it will be very helpful because the Liberals are having a hard time uh, presenting themselves as people who have actually delivered on a lot of the theatrical performance uh, that they've offered us. So the NDP will probably benefit by collapsing the green vote there. Less sure in Ontario, I would think it's probably more of an even split. But it'll depend on local circumstances everywhere, really, I think. Well, you know what? It's it's certainly fascinating to talk about it. Thank you so much, Robin Sears and Jason Leader. See you, Robin. Bye, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break, and I want to give the numbers out again because uh, our next discussion is going to be uh, a little more practical, let's say. We're going to talk about some mRNA vaccine side effects that haven't received too much attention. So, and, and it's, it's really important. So the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. We'll talk about one uh, side effect that's apparently common that affects women and another one that apparently affects young men when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.